is there any uh, fall light fall things you want to talk about? Beer, um, football, Pump, um, pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice <laughs> lattes. Um, now that you you know have a good income, you probably are buying pumpkin spice lattes all the time. Every 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 morning, every morning it's pumpkin spice latte. I buy it actually just to just to throw it out. Hey, welcome to the Smash Up Derby. This is Sam, uh, Sam Smucker. And Jonathan Kassam. Jonathan Kassam. Jonathan. Um, we have a very cool show today. We're going to talk about salts and salting. But, with two uh, wonderful guests. With two really interesting guests, yeah. Jane from, and Sergio. Um, from the Midwest. From somewhere in the Midwest. Jonathan, why don't you tell us what a salt is? So uh, a salt, right, is when someone goes and, uh, I mean, mostly it's when someone goes and gets a job in a workplace hoping to help organize a union in that work. People who were politically active 100 years ago and wanted to be part of the labor movement, so they would just choose to work in a place where they could be politically active or be, you know, organize people against the, the employer. Uh, right. So there's a long history of this, and I did it as a part of a, I I've, uh, initially worked with the auto workers union and, uh, and then later the steel workers union. In my case, it was to try to help them identify places they could organize and help them organize them if I could. Where did you, where did you work? Well, so the first place I tried, I was in Detroit and I was supposed to get jo a job at a parts supply a company. Uh, uh -huh. You know, a factory that made, and I can't remember what it, what the place I ended up getting hired at, what was it they were making, but it was some, you know, unbelievable minutia of the car, right? right? It's like one little right. piece of the car. That it, was, it was either a gadget or a widget. It was exactly that, right? It was like, I, <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't even tell you what it was now. I can't remember, but it was, um, you know, some tiny little piece of, of the car and it was all made at one factory with a couple hundred people. And, um, and in that case, I got, so I got the job. I went in, I applied, called me back. I, I told me I was hired, told me I had to go get, um, you know, a quick medical um, checkup before I get hired. That was always the, I don't know if they still do that. I assume they do, but you'd go and, you know, you had to pee in the cup and you'd get the hernia check and they, right, right. you know, you just check and make sure you're. You have you no know. pre existing conditions. Exactly. I mean, there's two things they're doing one, no drug in your blood no drugs in your blood and two no pre-existing conditions because the company of course doesn't want to pay for your health care um right. you're you know so if if you've got pre you know if you've got some problem they you're on your own uh went did all that went in the first day of work there's like five of us i'm the only one that doesn't have a heavy metal t-shirt on um you know we're going so, through so, strike one against you strike one against me right well i mean this is the challenge of being a soul right is you're gonna have to go and get to be friends with all the guys who were in the heavy metal shirts right so, right right which that's that's not you know that's not that big of a deal can do that but so i'm um so we're they kind of have us all lined up and i don't know they're having us do paperwork and then they call me in to a the the HR person says, oh, Sam, uh, we need to talk with you. Go wait in this room down the hall. And I'm thinking, darn, I'm busted on the first day. Like, I'm not even going to get to the shop floor. Like, they've already figured out. I've already somehow. No, no heavy metal T-shirt. That's exactly what it was. 
<laughs> they took one look at me and they were like, well, who's this guy? Like, he doesn't even have an Iron Maiden t-shirt on. So he's obviously, you know, he's obviously a plant, a UAW plant. They send me down the hall and I sit in this room for a little while just thinking, you know, I've got nothing, you know, preparing myself. I got nothing, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm allowed to do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm ready for, right, may, right. I'm ready to make some impassioned speech, right? And she comes in and she says, you have a hernia. <laughs> you have a hernia. You have to, what a way to learn that. <laughs> you have to go, right? We can't hire you. So that was it. I was kicked out. They just was like, walked me to the door. Uh, they said, you know, came back on your medical exam, go get it dealt with. And then, you know, if you want a job, come back and apply some other time. Um, so, the, and of course, I didn't have health care insurance because who had health care insurance back then? You, right, you know, no, right, right. at least you didn't even have the Obamacare option, right? I, uh, I, you know, I did the, the cowardly thing as I went back to grad school and um, <laughs> I went to grad school and I got health insurance and I got my hernia fixed. And then I went back and I went back and, and tried it again. So then I got hooked up with the steelworkers and I went to, to Minneapolis and we were trying to organize plastics factories and, um, and computer factories i am sure all of these places are closed this is <laughs> this is clearly dated 20 there years ago in minneapolis right? like literally none of these places there's no possible way uh, every single one of them has, has closed since then but yeah um and and i worked in a, i worked in a plastics factory for a while i was a temp so this is a good story too uh, i was a temp there i got in as a temp and I was I wanted to go permanent because once you you know as a temp you couldn't vote for the union you couldn't right, right. be a part of the campaign really um, they just fire you if you you know spoke out for the union and so I was um, I was there and working and I was making all kinds of like oh, I made like like so this is a plastics factory it's injection molding so these giant machines and they just be, they have this part these two parts that come together and you know, liquid plastic gets injected into yep, the yep. mold and whatever it is in there falls out and you basically take it, take the flash off of it, like the little part of the, you know, the plastic right. that's that's there. Um, and maybe you do something where you're gonna, you know, you, you put two pieces together and you put it in a box, yep, right? Like, and and the, Did you have an X-Acto knife? I don't, um, we must have, there must have been some little thing that you had to have to do that. And, and the thing I remember was that um, there was a thing called, a, a, there was a humane mousetrap that um, was like the really hard, because that one had, there were two pieces and a spring. And so as it came off, you had to like do the two pieces and wrap the, string, the spring around it. And, you know, it would come really fast. And if you didn't know how to do that, if you couldn't like kind of figure out how to, you know, but it took like a day or so, and then you kind of got the, rhythm right, right. of it and, and you could do it really fast you do you know you end up doing hundreds and hundreds of them in a day and that's um and actually i figured out why the these young working class kids like heavy metal so much and maybe this is an explanation for rap too because back this was 20 years ago and rap wasn't that big yet um but in that in that place it was loud it was really loud right all these machines are running all the time you can't, you had to yell mm -hmm. and talk to people, but you were allowed to bring a radio and you could put the radio right next to your machine and you'd have to turn it up absolutely 
as loud as it could go to, right, right. to just hear it. And, and you could not play sensitive indie music. <laughs> no. And hear it. You couldn't hear it. I mean, you couldn't do it probably culturally too, but you couldn't, <laughs> you like physically, you wouldn't be able to hear it if you did right, that. So, so are you saying that deindustrialization of America is what's responsible for it emo? It could be. Well, it could be for, for emo, for indie music. Yeah, all that is given, created a space for indie music <laughs> right. at the office desk. But in the factory, heavy metal, it, that's what worked, right? So yeah, if you yeah. weren't listening to, you know, um, you know, some Pearl Jam, that would be okay. And, um, you know, you could listen to sort of the ballad, the you know, like Boston and, you know, sort of the ballad rock and all that. That would come through, but you could not listen to REM. It just, you couldn't hear it. Um, right, right. So anyway, so you could kind of get why the heavy metal, you know, heavy metal was the thing. So that was a place where, um, so the, the union was actually in the campaign there. And I was, as a temp, and I was trying to get on, and I got a hold of this manager and I'm like, look, I really want this job. I'm working really hard here. Usually I think you had to take three months to get in um, mm -hmm. to that job. And I'd probably only been there a couple months. And I said, you know, why don't you just, you know, put the paperwork in, get me full time, you know? And I was trying to get in before they filed the cards, right? So they had already right. gathered the cards and they were gonna file the cards for the union election. And I wanted to be able to vote in the union election. So I was trying to get him to hire me. And he said, come in early tomorrow and we'll get it, we'll get it worked out. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm gonna do it. So the next day I'm driving in there and I got this little pickup truck and it just dies on the way to work. <laughs> just like comes clunk, 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 like what is wrong? Can't figure it out. Go in, open up, you know, pull over on the highway, open up the hood screwing around, I take the cap off the carburetor and there is a dead mouse in there that's laid like a, a mouse nest in there. See, if you had just stolen a mouse trap from work. Just, that's right, if I had taken all those mouse traps and laid them in my garage, wherever it was I was staying, and caught some of those mice. But so that, yeah, so there's like a mouse theme here, right? So that mouse <laughs> right. just, that mouse got me and uh, I got to work late. And so, and I like immediately go up to the guy and I'm like, oh man, you're not gonna believe what happened. Mouse in my carburetor. And the guy is just like, nope, talk to the hand. <laughs> nope. I was like, no, 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 I really, nope. He, he didn't wanna hear it. He was like, you, you fucked up, you didn't make it, you're out. And that was that. And so they filed for the election and I left because there was no point in me being there as a temp, wasn't gonna help. Right, uh, right. And so I w went on and I got a job in a circuit. I got a, a job in a night in the in the night shift of a circuit board plant. And, uh, circuit uh, boards. Yeah. So we were we were washing. I was essentially doing washing circuit boards, washing the copper for circuit boards in that one. And uh, and that was also a place where we tried. In that place, we tried to organize it. We put cards out, and I was a full time employee there. Um, I successfully stole a list. Uh, of all the employees there so that the union organizers could go in and uh, visit everybody and filed a fair, a fair labor standards complaint against the company because they um, incorrectly paid people overtime and got that fixed. Um, so, uh, so that was exciting. But um, also, but, the, but there just was no momentum in that place for, for a union. Um, right, right. And the and the guy who I was there salting with 
um, in that factory it was a young fellow named Kevin Hefty, and we lived together there in uh, in Minneapolis. And there was a woman as well, uh, but um, but Kevin and I were both in that that circuit board plant. And Kevin is now uh, some sort of organizing director for SEIU somewhere. Um, so he's gone on to great things. Um, so anyway, that's my story. <laughs> So and uh, so that's that's uh, that's great story. Well, yeah. So we, so that's what salting is, right? You're going in and now I didn't really tell you the. I told you the funny stuff. Our guests today, they they have a little more. We're we're gonna make them do the hard work. Right, right. The the serious stuff. They're gonna tell us like sort of how how to do it and how to get involved. And if if being a salt seems like a cool idea and you want to be a salt, if you're a young person and you are trying to figure out what to do for the summer, or you are just graduating and you wanna really get involved in the labor movement, being a salt is the way in. It's the way to get experience as a worker and really uh, do it in, in a way that you're gonna be in the middle of a, of a campaign. And uh, particularly if you wanna get a hold of, uh, you know, be put in touch with the union that uh, um, our guests worked with, uh, you should e uh, email us at smashuppodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can also probably direct message us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at smashuppodcast, if Twitter's your thing. Yeah, we'll put you in touch with, uh, with the union. So the union they're working with is Unite Here, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that with them. But Jonathan, your life is good there at the United Electrical Workers. You got the, it first, is. the first issue of the UE News is out uh, with your it's name on the masthead, I assume. Yes, the first print edition with uh, my name as the managing editor uh, went out middle of last week. Um, and so how, UE members should have it in their in their mailboxes. That's great. And and the general public, how could they subscribe to the UE News? That's what we should. Uh, right. So uh, uh, there's there's actually I'm not sure exactly how one goes about doing that. Um, other than I, I think you send five bucks to uh, UE News at. Uh, uh, what is our address? Uh, one Gateway Center, Suite 1400 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15222. Uh, that's a $5 subscription. Or you can also, uh, I'm working to get the UE News uh, online more than it than it has been. So at ueunion.org. And, uh, and we're putting the UE News on Medium. I don't know if this is a terrible idea or not. But uh, if, you're, if you're a Medium person, you can look up UE News at right? UE okay. News on Medium. Yep. Wow. Innovations Jonathan's already brought to the labor movement. Um, well, that's <laughs> dragging, great. Dragging the labor movement into the 21st century. I mean, $5 to get the UE News, well worth it. A great investment. <laughs> and it probably comes out like six times a year or something, right? It's 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 four times a year four now. Four times we're, a year. Or okay. officially a quarterly. Still $5 is a... Is still $5, a, yeah. Still $5 is pretty good. Let's see. We're going to talk with our, our guests today. And our guests are Jane and Sergio. You know, I think it's worth just saying up front that because of the nature of union organizing and, this, you know, we're going to leave out some details here and there today. I don't think it's going to detract from the, uh, the story uh, that they have to tell. But just so that you know, that's why, you know, you, if, you, if you think, oh, I, did I miss the name of the company or something like that? Well, you didn't miss it. We're not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're just being a little bit more vague than usual. Yeah, a little more vague than usual. Although we, we like to think that we've got a, a solid level of vagueness. 
that runs through <laughs> the podcast throughout. But yeah, today we're going to be even a little more vague. Uh, so if you feel like you've missed something, you probably haven't. It's uh, it's just we're not we're not telling all the details, but but we think it's still going to be a pretty darn interesting show. So Jane and Sergio. Um, so this episode we're doing today is on on salts and on salting and. And so, Jane, go ahead and tell us how you got involved with, with Unite Here and, and decided to become a salt. Yeah, so um, I am in my second year of college, and last year I took a course called Identities and Social Movements. Um, and a semester-long project we had was to get involved with a social movement. So the professor had the leader of Unite Here in our area come in and speak with us and growing up, both of my parents worked in food service, and I even worked in food service some in high school, realized that a lot of the issues that this union fought for and represented were things that were very close to home for me and things that my parents had kind of struggled with, you know, having food service jobs. Um, so I got involved with the class, and we got to be part of the Airmark campaign that this union was working on. So while working with the Airmark campaign, was actually able to spend a weekend um, with a lot of salts that work for Unite Here and meet the organizing team. And that weekend was really the turning point for me because I was able to hear people talk about salting in a very day-to-day, what they did, what it's like, what I can expect kind of way. In addition to once I met the organizing team, I realized that I kind of wanted to be someone who did what these people were doing. And I think that weekend was a huge turning point. So that was last December. And I started salting in May. And how long did you salt? Was it over the summer or? Yeah. So you basically you moved to this large city. You take a job mm-hmm. at this non-union workplace. Um, tell us about your first, you know, sort of your first impression, your first day on the job. Yeah. So... In high school, I worked at a Domino's where I was making um, $8 an hour after being there about two and a half years. Didn't have a paid break, didn't really have anything benefit-wise. So when I started the job on the first day, I was realized, oh, hey, I'm making more at this job, and I get a paid lunch, and they, you know, we get a free meal. And you know, my first thought was kind of, oh, this, this isn't that bad just in comparison to the workplace I'd been in for so long. So, you know, first day thoughts were kind of, this can't be that bad because the place I'd worked at before was so terrible. But I think very quickly I realized that just because I'd worked at a place that was really bad didn't make making an extra dollar or dollar fifty an hour that much better. So kind of as I became more acclimated to the workplace and began to really talk to people and hear their stories, I was able to start to see a lot of the things that people are agitated about um, and kind of reflecting on what it was like working in a non-union workplace in a public space in which there were union shops that were 10 or 15 feet away from me. There were some pretty stark differences between our workplaces. So some of the big ones that I remember were that we didn't, the employees there didn't have affordable benefits. They received a raise after 90 days, but after that, 
They didn't knew if they got. They didn't know if they were going to get a raise. They didn't know the policy for raises. So there was just kind of a general lack of knowledge regarding raises, which is very different than union workshops. Um, they didn't get holiday pay, six day, sick days, vacations. Overtime wasn't an option. In fact, I remember one story um, in which so I worked front counter, and someone who was a cook in the back came up front to show one of my coworkers their paycheck and they looked really concerned and after they went into the back I turned to my coworker and I asked you know why did he look so upset and she told me that he had overtime on his check and that was kind of shocking to me because I thought people would be excited to have overtime that's time and a half and so later I kind of asked him about it and he was so worried that they were going to take away the overtime he worked because people weren't supposed to get overtime. And that was really shocking to me that an employee would feel that that's something that could happen or, you know, maybe had, you know, before been reprimanded for getting overtime. Um, Do you know why he, he was worried about it? Was it something that management had been talking about? From my conversation with him, he, he said that we weren't supposed to get overtime. They got really upset if people got overtime, that they made the schedule in such a way that that shouldn't happen. So most people that I worked with were working 35 hours a week, if not less. So getting overtime was not something many people could do. And if they did, it was an issue because management didn't want to pay it. Right. So you get in trouble if you yeah. go over. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that from working in food service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what was your job? So you went in there, and what was your goal? Uh, you're only going to be there three, three or four months. So um, going into this, my goal was essentially to see if in the three months that I was there that we could organize and win a union in this workplace. So kind of some large aspirations for the time frame. I had. However, I did have another salt in there with me who started maybe a few weeks before I did. Mm -hmm. So our goal was to work on building a strong committee, which for people who don't know, a committee essentially is the group of workers in the shop who kind of decide that they want to take on a little bit more responsibility as far as the union goes and be the ones who work to organize other workers and represent what the workers want when Unite Here is negotiating the contract with the company. So we were supposed to work on building a strong committee since both of us were planning on leaving in August when school started. And so your job was essentially to find leaders. Yes. Yes. So, and finding leaders often looks like, or I guess you find leaders by simply observing. I remember early on kind of in the notes I'd made as I was in there that I noticed one of my coworkers, it was the coworker who I'd mentioned um, that the young man came and showed her his check. To me, it was interesting that he showed her the check and was talking with her. And I mean, she's an older woman who had been there about a year and really had a strong presence in the workplace. Right. And so, so ding, early ding, on, ding. I, yes, there, yes. There's a leader. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so you're you're there for three months, um, and this is a it's a essentially a food service kind of place. Um, yes. And were you able to identify leaders? Were you were you all able to take this to a union election? Was was that the goal? So at this point, the campaign is still in process, and they're still working to get the union. Um, That's great. And do you feel like you were able to play a role? I I definitely think that I was able to play a role in that. So the way the salt that was in there with me and I worked is the salt who was with me was on the 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. shift. And so her job was to organize those workers. And I was on the 9 a.m. to 4.30 shift. So my job was to organize um, the second shift workers. However, that kind of left the 4.30 to 10.30 shift up in the air a little. And because a lot of the people working that shift were young, white, high school or college students, a lot of that responsibility fell on me because I'm a young, white college student. My day-to-day was meeting people at work, trying to talk to them, trying to build some connections and friendship, and then working on seeing them outside of work, doing things just to hang out and really get to know who they were as a person and figure out what they were frustrated with at work. Okay. Do you want to tell us about any of the, can you tell us about any of those people? Can you tell us about, be more specific about any of the the experiences you had? Yes, definitely. So I think that one big thing that happened in the workplace this summer that really, really helped me keep my focus and keep my passion alive as I was organizing was when two of my coworkers were fired. So these coworkers were young African-American males who were late, you know, fairly consistently, however, always texted and management, quite frankly, was very relaxed when people were late. It was something that happened a lot. Um, so one day these coworkers came in late. There were three of them that had all ridden together. They were late. They texted to let the management know that they would be late. And when they arrived, we were really busy. Everyone was kind of frantically rushing around, trying to get the orders, trying to account for mess ups, different things like that. And the assistant manager on staff looked at them and said, go clock in, get straight in the kitchen, don't fill up your water bottles, don't do anything. And as you're clocking in, the computer is right next to the drink fountain. So as these coworkers are clocking in, they're just kind of like one hand's filling the drink up, one hand's putting their numbers in. Um, And my assistant manager told them both to clock out and go home and essentially just fired them because, you know, they were getting water And, you know, although this story could in a lot of ways, you know, people could see it as well, they weren't listening, they didn't do what they said. I think kind of what happened after to me was a large reflection of maybe a little more of the issue because my assistant manager, once it died down, came up front and high-fived my coworker and me and was like, I respect the kitchen and my job and I won't deal with people who don't and they have no respect and was essentially just like being very celebratory after firing these individuals who rely on this job to live. And then later my general manager, you know, I asked him if they were fired because their friend said that they weren't fired, they were just sent home. And the general manager was, you know, just talking about how they were so disrespectful and they didn't care. And just a lot of 
you know, talked them down a lot. And to me, that was very frustrating, especially because a week earlier I'd been an hour late to work because I slept through my alarm and the managers laughed and thought, you know, they told me everyone has those days. So that was kind of one strong example of the inconsistencies that I saw. Right. So just the rules are just applied differently to different people. And, um, and of course, you can just get fired anytime in a non-union place, right? Yeah. Was there another story you wanted to tell? So um, you said there was somebody who really inspired you while you were there? Oh, yeah. So I, early on, befriended um, a coworker named Ella, who was the one I identified as a leader. And I think in a lot of ways, I became close with her because she, you know, was that leader and you know, she trained me and she was responsible. Um, it was kind of a funny friendship because she was, you know, a middle-aged black woman from Mississippi. And I was this young white college kid. And I remember the union organizer told me that I had to make friends with everyone. And I was having such a hard time making friends with all the young white college kids. Um, but I was able to have such a close relationship with Ellis so quickly. And I was able to learn a lot about her and learn about what was important to her and what she wanted. And, you know, I got to give her rides home from work. And on if we if it was payday and she didn't make it into work, she'd ask me if I could bring her check by and really kind of took me in. She let me come over and hang out with her and her family, which meant a lot to me because I was living in a city alone, essentially. I didn't really have a lot of people there. And so as I organized and as I developed this relationship with Ella, I really went from wanting to organize the union because it was the right thing to do and because I wanted workers to have better pay and more rights to feeling like, oh, I need this union because I want Ella to be able to have the pay that she deserves. And I want Ella to be able to have sick days and vacation days. And that really changed my experience a lot was developing such a close relationship and being so personally invested in this woman having a better life because of the union. When it came to the union, what was Ella most concerned about? So a lot of what I talked to Ella about was hours. She She's someone who really would benefit from being able to work 40 hours a week or overtime on different weeks. And so, you know, money was a big thing for her. She wanted to be able to earn more money. And the idea of getting a paid sick day or a paid vacation day every now and then was kind of, when I would bring it up to her, she'd kind of laugh and say like, oh, that's that would never happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, her big thing was she was such a family woman. She cared so deeply. She was very obviously the matriarch of her family and wanted to just provide and take care of them to the best of her ability. And I think having more money is something that, you know, gave her more flexibility to do that without having to worry about. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny how, um, I mean, people can't even imagine how it would be or Right, the idea that you would get yeah. sick time or um, paid vacation time. 
so we want to hear Sergio's story too. So yeah, so uh, Sergio, uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, you know why you decided to become a salt and how you got involved? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I guess for me to get there, I got to tell you a little bit uh, about kind of where I'm from or where I'm coming from. So I'm originally from Southern California in a mostly farm working community. Um, and I guess labor, labor organizing has kind of been in my family and in my blood. So my grandmother worked with Cesar Chavez and the UF, uh, the United Farm Workers way back when. I would always grow up hearing stories of, you know, my grandmother talking with, uh, you know, fellow, uh, her fellow coworkers or farm workers and trying to organize them into uh, kind of, you know, either striking uh, don't cross the picket line, you know, et cetera. And this, in the city where I'm at, the, the social justice communities, you know, it's kind of small. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, so I knew, I, I always knew about Unite here. And I've been living here for about eight years now. And uh, this uh, the Unite Here organizer who uh, recruited me, I've known him for a very long time. And I needed a job. Uh, but I feel like more than that, like I needed a purpose uh, in my life again, and I needed something to fight for. I was kind of getting burned out uh, with my previous job. I contacted him and asked if you know he can help me find a job, and he basically uh, introduced me to the world of salting. <laughs> yeah, let, let the let the boss pay you, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I applied for several jobs, and the one I got in was a barista at a coffee shop, and yeah, so so it began. Yeah, and so so what was your what was your sort of role in in organizing um, as a as a barista? So there was three coffee shops that we all rotated around mm-hmm. uh, on, on the workplace. So my role, as I was getting hired on, uh, they had just won the union, so I was picking up where someone else left off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and like I was, I was going through the hiring process, the background check, etc. Uh, they had won a majority in their in their workplace. Or it wasn't just like a cafe; it was a bigger place. Or yes, it was a bigger place. Uh, I worked in a large place that uh, had many shops, uh, oh. many different restaurants in it. But my role was uh, contract negotiations. What do people want? What are some tangible things that people, that workers, like what do they need? And so, in order for me to do that, I have to. Uh, build relationships with my coworkers. Got to get to know them on a personal level, and have them get to know me because I'd like to think I'm a pretty outgoing person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and but have it have it be, you know, given my background, um, uh, very authentic, very genuine, very like this is what like I really want to help you guys out. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so what was what did they tell you was your goal going in? So there's already a union there, and I understand it's to you know to, you're going to go into contract negotiations. But what's the role you're going to play? You're not going to negotiate the contract, are you? No, no, I I was not going to negotiate the contract. I you know started out with trying to organize a contract negotiation committee, um, identifying leaders as uh, Jane was talking about. Uh, identifying leaders in my workplace, uh, people that like workers that don't go to the boss, they go to someone else. Okay, let's let's talk to that person, right, and, right, uh, and see how they can help us out. I guess through that process, it was 
you know, organizing that committee. And then I moved from there to uh, becoming a shop steward, uh, becoming after we negotiated the contract. And after uh, that was said and done, I was a shop steward for three years. There was a standard that was set already in the area, in the city where we're at. And so we just needed to get them. We were the, uh, this company was one of the last ones to be unionized. So basically there was, there was some sort of master contract that you were, uh, some, there was some, maybe it wasn't a master contract, but there was some sort of standard that, that was already established that once you got a union. Like this is where it's, this this is where it's gotta be at. Right, right, right. And so, well, and so we knew, I mean, we couldn't go for that standard, um, out of the gate. I mean, mm-hmm. we tried to. Uh, right, right. Uh, concessions on both sides, you know, negotiation. Uh, so what we got was a good first step. Uh, uh, regular raises. Um, the job where I, the job I got hired on, I was making eight fifty. Now at, at the we're around the end of the our first contract's life cycle, and renegotiations renegotiations are going to start up. They're at ten dollars an hour starting out. The morning shift, which is four uh, four a.m. to twelve, they're making I think around twelve to thirteen dollars an hour, wow. and so it's just in these last four years, looking back on it now, that's tangible. Right. Uh, so you're right. T- so talking about problem. what thirty, forty percent raises. Yes. Uh, what, right. Right. What are some other big changes that happened? So the wages went way up. Wages went way up. Um, uh, wages, staffing, being staffed and being properly staffed. So how, um, how was it done before? How was it done before? Um, there was huge turnover. Uh, you know, some people would last two days, some people would last two weeks. Uh, and that is a cause of, one, wages and management, uh, lack of respect in the workplace. Um, I know a couple of managers that were uh, let go because of inappropriate comments, inappropriate gestures, inappropriate. So that was really prevalent in uh, the workplace. Mm-hmm. What, and also there was a lack of a, like a grievance. Like we, would, we, we call it a grievance uh, procedure. Mm-hmm. Did you help build a, a sort of contract campaign committee or did you recruit people to be stewards or sort of what, how, how did that work? Uh, I said before, organize the contract negotiation committee um, and to get people from all over the shop uh, and different, uh, you know, di- the different shops that we were under um, and bring them together on uh, one thing. The challenge in doing that is, I-, I believe y'all alluded to it before, was moving people from cynicism to solidarity uh, with their coworkers. And I really... Like I, I say, like I look back on it, and it's one of my most proudest like achievements, right? In the process of organizing, seeing someone move from uh, kind of apathy or you know those regular rank and file, you know, worker, uh, you know, I'm just trying to survive. I just want to feed my family. I just want to uh, just get through the day, and have them hope and believe in something that uh, would bring tangible hope and ten- like will help them uh, in their real lives. Um, there was this guy, his name's Marcus, uh, still a good friend of mine today. He got hired on around the same time as me. He was kind of the person I was describing, uh, a rank and file, put your head down, just do the work. 
and just take whatever is given to you, not really fight back on anything. Uh, when you first get hired on, uh, all the initial hire, the new hires get placed in the same uh, location for quote-unquote training uh, mm-hmm. at the time. And so I really got to know them in that space because uh, there wasn't really any managers around. And we we're just kind of both learning the job at the same time. Uh, so we built a good rapport. Um, and then I asked them, hey, do you want to go get you know, like Buffalo Wild Wings or do you want to go get coffee on our day off or do something on our day off? It was never something on our day off. <laughs> uh, but, you know, after work, we we would go out and, you know, he'd open up to me about his life. I'd open up to him about my life. And you really started seeing him come out of his shell afterwards just by us talking. And in those conversations, you know, I would talk about the union. Uh, that was a really big uh, uh, topic in the workplace, uh, considering we, we had just won the union at the time. Just talking to him about uh, the union and how um, it could affect his life in a meaningful way, and it can affect his coworkers' life. He was very cynical about it in, <laughs> in the beginning. We're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, I just need to do my job. Um, but I kept pressing him for it, um, you know, just kept bringing it up. And eventually it got to the point where he would come out to a Unite Here event uh, outside of work on his day off um, just to see what it was all about. I would have him have conversations with uh, our union organizer, uh, invite him uh, out to other events that I may be going to outside of work. And eventually he became uh, a leader in his in his location, in his place where he's working. Um, he became a shop steward. He was a part of the negotiation committee. And he was turned super gung-ho about the union and would talk to new people that would be hired on about it uh, and should continue to talk about the benefits that that he saw and like that he fought for himself in the contract. And just seeing someone move, like seeing that transition or that uh, transformation, I guess it's it's one of my biggest, like what I call like one of my successes. And like beyond anything, like beyond all organizing, it's just about helping people and, you know, helping people in their lives and their real tangible change, make a real tangible impact. And I think the culture of the company the company has changed completely as far as uh, the worker, the, cul- the worker, the culture of the workers. Mm-hmm. We got people, I, I, I believe I heard uh, we had people like wanting to like sign up to be in the contract committee. So it's like that, that's beautiful. <laughs> in, yeah, in my yeah. mind. Right. To go from being cynical that anything can ever change to, I want to devote my own free time mm-hmm. to being involved. It's a big, uh, so this is, I think, a question for both of you. Um, you know, you described how Marcus changed through your, you know, the time you've been there, the attitude change from sort of cynicism or just disbelief that anything can be different than the way it is. Like, what, what happens with people? How do they go through that? Um, so I think a big thing that happened in my campaign over the summer and with the workers that I was involved with Mm -hmm. was that when we would have meetings and finally tell them about the union organizing and get them on board is they would meet with 
the Unite Here organizer, as well as someone who worked in a union shop. And getting to sit down and have a conversation that was, you know, the union organizer who was kind of showing them the contract and laying it out in a very kind of professional way to talking to someone who works in the same public space they do, but in a different shop. And that person saying, hey, once we won the union, I was making more, I was getting paid time off, I was getting raises, I have all these benefits that I can afford. I think that people were able to see the union in a very kind of concrete way and see the changes that it could bring. And I think that was very powerful for a lot of people. So just the, the danger of a good example. Somebody else won it somewhere else. You can do it here. Exactly. That's a big part of it. What do you think, Sergio? Do you have- I, I mean, that's spot on. Seeing is believing. Um, and, and a lot of these, uh, a lot of workers um, and jobs that I've been a part of, if I don't see anything that's going to benefit me uh, as, you know, I, I don't necessarily look at life that way. Um, but for the majority of people, you know, seeing is believing. You have to you have to have it in your hand and having those conversations with other workers who have won the union and having those conversations with union organizers um, and people who look just like you, who have the same issues as you, who have the same, um, you know, you, you talk shop while you're together, even though you work in different places. Um, you know, you have all these commonalities, you know, and when you really connect with someone, uh, it's really when you really connect with someone, you really uh, feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You know, when, when you're encouraging people to get involved in the unions, what are their biggest concerns about getting involved? And we talked about cynicism, but are they worried about stuff? Are they fearful in any way? I would say it's more the fear comes from one not knowing what a union is or, or what um, or what it can do for you. Another is retaliation from man- from management. Mm-hmm. You and know, what, being what, so, is, what is retaliation? What, what are people afraid of? Uh, retaliation in uh, the workplace that I worked in was it was always a thing where if you weren't really great, you would be put in the busiest part of the of, of the shop. You'll get placed doing the, the miniscule jobs. Uh, your hours would be cut. And they give the excuse, well, we hired someone else, so we got to allocate and we got to, which is. Uh, so which es- essentially they cut your pay by cutting your hours. Yes. And, and stuff like that. And so. Uh, people are afraid of that or not or people that are long timers who have been granted favor by managerial uh, by the by management um, are afraid to lose that status you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, and so the difficulty the difficult part of organizing was getting to people that were long timers um, some of them were super easy because you know they're long timers but they're frustrated with uh, management and there are other long timers who are just fine with management and so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's part of, that was part of the difficulty in in organizing um, but it's the fear of retaliation is is the one I, I heard the most and the one that I felt the most piggybacking off of Sergio I'm thinking of a few examples from this summer in which management one thing they did was kind of spread information that wasn't true. So one of my 
committee members and coworkers had been very active and organizing, had signed up a lot of people for the union and was really excited. And then one day just kind of backed out and wanted nothing to do with it. And when I was talking to him about why that was, he told me that he'd been told by the management that if we won the union, then the union would be the managers of the store and that management would all, you know, we would lose them as management and, you know, kind of just told him things that basically just were completely untrue and scared him into not doing it. And I think another thing that happened this summer is once management kind of got wind of the fact that we were organizing, they kind of went out on a little witch hunt and started asking around and trying to find out who was involved in the union and who'd signed up and who'd started it. And doing this is, for one thing, illegal. So that was an issue in itself. This was really scary for a lot of the workers because they felt as if, you know, they thought, oh, if management wants to find out who's doing this, they're going to fire us or they're going to cut our hours. So I think that intimidation is another big tactic that's used to deter people from joining the union. So the for, one into, well, for instance, let me just ask this question. Yeah. Jane, how, how did, so that person told you that, what did you say to them? So they told me that while we were actually on our way to a meeting with the, our union organizer. And so on the way to the meeting, I told him just blatantly, I said, that's not true. The manager is scared because he doesn't want a union because then they have, you know, another person that they have to answer to and they have more rules that they have to follow. And, you know, the hot Jews do process on firing people and such. And he he didn't really respond to me a lot. He just kind of said, well, I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it. Um, and then we went and had our meeting with the union organizer and the union organizer told him the same thing I did, but was able to elaborate more and explain it a lot better. And this coworker still, he never, he never was involved again, as far as I know, because he was so scared of that retaliation and the management punishing him. So how, what was your reaction to that? Because that's a really hard moment when you've got a coworker who's been working for the union and now they've, they've gotten scared and they're backing off. How do you feel about it when that happens? Like, what was your reaction? It really, to me, kind of felt crushing in a way because I felt like we had this really strong core team. This individual had signed a lot of people up and was in the process of signing a few more people up. And so I, you know, at first I was crushed and then I just became really angry because to me, it just seems so unfair and wrong that management can tell this worker that. And because management has so much power over them and their livelihood that this individual just immediately kind of changes their direction and backs out. And no matter how much I tried to talk to him and convince him, you know, it wasn't working. And I think that it was interesting to me that hearing one thing from management and then hearing things from me and the union organizer and other people in union shops that this individual still was just, he was listening to management because they were the ones who essentially at the end of the day had power over him. Were either of you involved in or were um, any collective actions 
with the workers? In other words, were there petitions or? Uh, yeah, for me, there were several, uh, several times, especially during the contract negotiations. Um, we would have collective actions. We would have people come out, uh, workers come out from different shops. And even throughout the city, uh, join us where to give a, a stack of petitions to a manager or to a supervisor that just happened <laughs> to have the unfortunate time of being uh, in the wrong, either the right place at the right time for us. <laughs> uh, you know, we have uh, 30 or 40 people just come up to them and be like, this is what we want. This is and those. I feel like also those actions are super powerful for people who are on the fence. Um, what, how so? Um, it, it's you have a group backing you. It's the idea that strength in numbers. Like we're all together, we're all for you. In those moments, I feel like that's a very it's a visual uh, it's it's a visual representation of a union when we're all together coming to management asking for demanding change, asking for change. Uh, and this is what we want. Like, how do they change from that? It doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. But what it does do is, in all the actions that I've been a part of, and I've seen my coworkers come out, it does embolden you. It does, uh, because you're not alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there are other of your coworkers with you which is powerful, and then you have the larger community. So it does embolden you. It does, uh, in those events, we have, uh, like, the union organizer doesn't give the person the, permit, uh, the petition, the supervisor or manager. It's one of the workers. And so they go up to them, give them their, uh, the petition, and they tell their story of, like, why them personally, why do they need what the petition is asking for. Can you tell us about what one of those petitions was asking for? So in my workplace, we didn't have any um, collective actions or anything, but as Sergio was just talking about how it's not the union organizer that hands the petition and it's the worker, I think that that reminded me of the way that salting and organizing, I think, is powerful is that you kind of go in and your goal and your job is to organize, but it's not to organize them and then make decisions and, you know, essentially be in charge. It's to organize a group of people who don't need you anymore and can fight for their contract and can advocate for change without the union organizers, which, of course, you know, the union organizers and the SALTs are essential in getting the process started and the union organizers definitely the contact and the way that they act is continues however I think that organizing in the way that we do it is powerful because everyone who decides they want to get involved and decides that they want to share their story or they want to speak out they become a leader in and of themselves and I think that that's what makes it so strong is that we it's not a centralized kind of thing. It's very decentralized in the way that you can have so many workers in a workplace who feel that they're a leader and they are an active part of negotiating their contract as well as making sure that management upholds it. And I think that's really valuable. Jane, what do you think you took away from it? You were there for three months. How did you change personally? So... 
And the time that I was there, I really developed a lot of skills that going in, I either didn't have or didn't feel very confident in. So kind of the big thing that I took away from my time salting was an understanding of just how crucial personal relationships are when you're organizing. And, you know, there was a lot of time that I spent getting to know people and spending time with them and kind of felt like maybe I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to be doing. But, it, you know, in the end, my relationship with these people is kind of what gave me the ability to speak to them and get them to listen to me and hear me out if they were feeling a little hesitant. Um, in addition, I became more confident being able to talk to people and being able to explain things about the union and kind of instill in them a little bit of fire and let them know that, hey, you're totally allowed to be upset about this and give them a space to express that. In addition, I feel like I learned how to connect with a wide variety of workers and individuals and understand what's frustrating to them and help prompt them. And like I said, you know, let them know that they have a space to talk about that and feel comfortable. You know, so much of organizing is not talking at people. It's like trying to get them to talk to you and trying to get them to share their story and their experiences and what they want. And I think I learned how to do that this summer. So if, you know, if, any, if any of our listeners are thinking about uh, assaulting, what, uh, what, piece, what, what advice would you have for them that you wish you had known kind of going into it? I just kind of spoke to this about how I said I spent a lot of time building relationships and felt that I wasn't really doing anything. And I think in that, my advice for people who wanted to get involved in salting would be to understand that it can sometimes feel like a slow process. It can feel like two weeks or a month go by and, you know, you're trying to do everything you can, but things just kind of feel stagnant. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything will happen all at once. So I think that being patient with the process and not having expectations for things to happen super rapidly is important. Otherwise, it can at times feel frustrating if you feel like, oh, I'm doing things and there needs to be immediate reactions to what I'm doing, then you might feel a little discouraged at times. But being patient with yourself and the organizing process is a good way to maintain your drive as you go about salting, I would say. I agree a lot with what Jane said. Um, I would also say that just understanding that it's going to be frustrating, that you're going to do things outside of your comfort zone. Uh, maybe you don't, uh, you're not a real outgoing person or you're not a real uh, conversational starter, which I wasn't at the beginning of this journey. It, it really pushes you to know more about yourself and to understand yourself. And just like uh, what Jane said, just be patient and trust the process, trust your fellow salts, trust your union organizer. Know that, you know, change, it's not going to be radical change on the onset. It's an ongoing process. And knowing, understanding that you're a part of that um, and allows you to have uh, that grace for yourself uh, when you mess up and you're going to mess up. <laughs> you're going to mess up a lot. Uh, 
but just knowing that, you know, learn from your mistakes and just keep pressing forward. What, what does it mean to mess up as a salt? Um, for me, uh, you might say something that damages a relationship with a coworker or uh, there's stuff you got to be careful about when you're trying to uh, organize as far as you got to be a good worker. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you have to be an excellent worker. You can't slack off. You can't show up late. You can't do any of that. Because one, like your coworkers see you showing up late all the time. They're not going to respect you or have any. Um, uh, just from my experience. Uh, this is, this is why I would be an awful salt. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just have to, you know, earn people's respect. And anything that could damage that is a mistake. 100 percent. Um, that that's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Did did you did you guys feel burned out? Was that a was that a danger or was it was it helpful to you know actually be doing a regular job all the time? So I think for me, the the thing that I realized very early on was salting was the thirty five hours I worked every week in addition to meetings before and after work or socials with my coworkers or, you know, writing notes and trying to stay up to date about what the issues were. So it almost in some ways was like, I never stopped salting. I would get off work and then I'd go have dinner with my coworkers or I would get off work and I would go home and try to like make some notes about what had happened that day and why people were upset and different things I'd seen. So I think that it is important to know that it's it's something that is becomes a very it's central to your life. It's what you have to be invested in. But that being said, you know, some days you go into work and you have a you know, you have your work day and you don't, you know, maybe do too much as far as salting is concerned and you just kind of work. So I think it's possible to you know, give yourself some space and take days to kind of say, you know, today is a day that I just have to work because I've got a lot. And, I'm, you know, maybe this is feeling a little heavy lately, so I'm just going to give some space to avoid that burnout. But it's it's very much a full-time thing, I'd say. I've never done organizing separate from this, so I can't really speak as far as the comparison. But my experience was that it required a lot of time and energy. It was a part of my life. It was my everyday it was, I wake up um, organizing, go to work, organizing, you know, after work, organizing. But still, you know, there's that element of self-care that you need, right? And so being able to, you know, call your union organizer and be like, hey, I need to take this day and not being afraid to ask for that. Um, generally, you get, a, you get a, a good idea of when you can do that, uh, depending on where, where you are at in the campaign. Um, and if there's any events coming up, you know, you, you know, you need to be in organizing mode. Um, but I did it for three years. Um, and it was honestly one of the best three years of my life. What both of you did is, is pretty impressive. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And thanks so much for taking time to talk with us. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Thank you all for the opportunity. All right. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts to let your friends know about this, uh, about the Smash Up Derby. Thanks so much for listening.